BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same-game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get 150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms, 21 plus only. Virginia only, new customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. It's time for you to join half a million people in doing what? Well, doing something cool. Get a Burna Less Lethal Pistol. That's Burna, B-Y-R-N-A. It fires powerful ammunition, tear gas, kinetic ammo, incapacitates an attacker for 30, 40 minutes. Having a less lethal option is crucial. It's legal in all 50 states. No background checks are required. They ship it right to your door. B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash Jesse gets you an exclusive 10% discount. Yo, next round is about to start. You ready? Yeah, yeah, just shopping for a car in Carvana. For real? Yeah, Carvana makes it super convenient to shop whenever, wherever. For real? That's a ton of car options. Yep, and these are all within my price range. For really real? You can afford that? Yeah, with Carvana. And boom, just like that, I'm getting it delivered in a couple days. For really, really real? You just bought a car. For real, and you just lost. My turn. Visit Carvana.com to shop for thousands of vehicles under $20,000. I know you're paying attention to global events. Wars bubbling up everywhere. Countries are buying and hoarding mass amounts of gold. Why aren't you? It's time to pull the trigger with Oxford Gold Group and buy gold and silver. Nobody can predict the future, but we can't put our heads in the sand either. Call Oxford Gold Group right now and you may qualify for up to $10,000 in free precious metals. Call 833-995-GOLD. That's 833-995-GOLD. 833-995-G-O-L-D. You don't have to dip forever. You know that, right? You don't have to smoke forever. And the reason I say it like that is I have been that guy. I, I've been that guy. I dipped for so long. And what would happen is I would decide I'm going to quit. Oh, that's bad for me. I'm going to quit. I'm a man. I don't need any help. I'm just going to quit cold turkey. And I would fail time and time and time again. I tried things like the patch. That didn't work. Gum. Sunflower seeds. I, I tried it all. It's just a matter of finding the right thing to help you quit. That's Jake's Mint Chew. Go, put in your dip. Just make sure it's Jake's Mint Chew. It's tobacco-free. It's nicotine-free. It's even sugar-free. And I highly recommend, just a personal choice, I highly recommend their CBD pouches because it really helps take that extra edge off. Get a jakesmintchew.com. That's jakesmintchew.com. Make sure you use the promo code JESSE at checkout. When you do that, get 10% off. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. All right, welcome to a special Thanksgiving Day presentation of the Jesse Kelly Show. However, Jesse has a well-deserved day off. He asked me to fill in for him. 
That's right. You get me again, folks. It is BK here. If you've been listening to Jesse for a while, you've probably heard me chime in a few times and fill in. I'm the host of the World News with BK international news podcast, beloved throughout the land. You can find that on all your streaming platforms, such as iTunes and Spotify. And quickly, like Jesse, I too am a veteran, a veteran of the U.S. Air Force pararescue teams, longtime overseas government contractor, uh, overeducated at a fine social justice warrior university. And here I am now today with you guys, Thanksgiving, you know, while, while you are gorging yourself, hopefully you're taking a little bit of time and listen to this show. As I've said a few times, it's kind of different doing AM talk radio. Uh, I almost dropped a few profanities yesterday when I filled in, but I reined myself in at the last minute. So strap in. We're going to talk a little bit about world news. We're going to talk a little bit about the origins of Thanksgiving. We're going to talk a little bit about PT and commando training for all you guys who want to get it on. So why don't we start with Thanksgiving itself? And, you know, like, it's funny because, like, every year, like clockwork, we have to have the real story of Thanksgiving, right? Because it's just what we, and and in fairness, what we grew up with is not exactly what happened. Uh, So let's get into it a little bit. USA Today had a long article about this, about the, you know, the truth of Thanksgiving. They run this article pretty much every year. But, you know, the truth is the truth. Let's get into it a little bit. And remember, the tra- let's start with the traditional story of Thanksgiving and what like you and I probably learned. The traditional story is of the pilgrims in 1620 when the pilgrims landed off the Mayflower and you know came onto Plymouth Rock. Okay, so the facts are, though, the pilgrims spent only a few weeks of the year 1620 in the Wampanoag village of Patuxet which they would rename Plymouth, P-L-I-M-O-T-H, which is now Plymouth. And as for the 1621 feast a year later, the supposed beginning of today's Thanksgiving tradition, there was a small feast, but the local Indian tribe, that is the Wampanoag, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, but bear with me. They were not invited, the Indian tribe. They showed up later. So... Their role in helping the pilgrims survive by sharing resources went unacknowledged that day, according to accounts of the toasts given by pilgrim leaders. So then the actual first official Thanksgiving Day that was, you know, a federal thing, did not invoke the pilgrims at all. In 1863, President Abraham Lincoln declared a Thanksgiving Day on the last Thursday of November, and he was looking to reconcile a country that was, you know, in the, in the heat of the Civil War. Which, if you've you know studied the Civil War at all, just the carnage that went on is just it's it, you, you can't even fathom it in today's in today's context. So, what else happened? Well, then we started kind of celebrating that Thanksgiving, but then in 1963 is when the real kind of invoking the Pilgrims came in, and that's when President John F. Kennedy immortalized the Pilgrims in his own Thanksgiving Day proclamation. Okay, so. The historically accurate story of the Pilgrims and the founding of Plymouth Colony 400 years ago is not really in the school books, but the more historically accurate telling is starting to gain a foothold, particularly remember those Native American tribes. And it's worth going into. So remember, 
That tradition, where the Pilgrim's story started in September of 1620, right when the Mayflower left England packed with colonists and sailors to set sail for the New World. But if you start there, that already ignores years of European contact with the native people of New England. Uh, the first known contact between Native Americans and Europeans was actually in Narragansett Bay in 1524. And then later on, in 1602, a guy named Bartholomew Gosnold visited Cape Cod in what's now known as Martha's Vineyard. And that's when they really started having contact with that local native tribe, the Wampanoag, and started with trading and ended in violence. Uh, further, in 1614, a Cape Cod tribe member named Epinau was captured by Europeans, and he was kept in bondage for three years. He engineered an escape and returned to his people on Martha's Vineyard. Now, that same year, uh, another Native American named Tisquantum, later known as Squanto, you guys have probably heard that name, and 19 other Wampanoag men were lured onto an English ship, taken captive, and sold into slavery. Now then, I'm just going to refer to him as Squanto to make it easier. Squanto would later spend time in Spain and London, but he would later return to Patuxet. And he and that previously mentioned Native American gentleman named Epinau would play important roles in burgeoning those Pilgrim-Wampanoag relations, but only Squanto was kind of uh, immortalized in the Pilgrim story. But according to a lot of historians, a great place to start, really where it all began, was in 1616. And that's when a lethal pandemic tore through those native villages. In three years, once populous villages like Patuxet, where the Pilgrims would eventually settle, were pretty much emptied out of people. So the Narragansett tribe however, to the west, was left largely untouched. Now, this is, the pandemic was supposedly brought by those European colonists. Uh, an elder with the Wampanoag tribe says that they were not used to diseases here and that their systems were not used to the illnesses that came with the Europeans and the pilgrims. So, by 1620, the Wampanoag people were in this really tough spot. And that's where they say you should really start. And that's kind of what happened. So the, the, congre the congregation of Puritans within the Pilgrims did break off from the Church of England for religious regions, but that brought them over to Holland, except they couldn't find jobs. So then they sought a charter from the London company to start a colony in America. And the Pilgrims' main concerns at that point, obviously, were their own survival in the New World and turning a profit for those who backed the venture. And that survival was made possible with help from that Indian tribe, the Wampanoag. So the decision to help the pilgrims, whose you know uh, relatives had been raiding native villages and enslaving their people for nearly a century, came after they stole native food and seed stores and dug up native graves. But a Native American chief, commonly known as Massasoit, uh, he kind of said that he that they need to like learn to live together. He was kind of the honcho over there, and he's the guy who decided to allow the pilgrims to stay at Patuxet and eventually provide them aid after they were driven off the Cape itself. So they thought about killing all the pilgrims. Uh, many of the tribes did want to do that, 
but they felt it would cost them a lot of valuable fighters in short supply after that aforementioned pandemic. And then they thought, well, you know, there's a risk of Europeans returning in overwhelming numbers or worse. So they decided to try to have an ally there. So in late March, diplomatic relations between the two groups formally opened when Massasoit arrived in Plymouth. His uh, you know, face was painted. He had warriors with him and everything else. And then the two groups, the Europeans and the natives, kind of worked out an alliance through this series of visits and uh, trade. So several months later, after receiving help and protection from the Wampanoag people, the pilgrims held the harvest feast that would form the crux of the Thanksgiving myth centuries later. But Wampanoag members were not even invited, but they showed up. So a group of about 100 men and the honcho, Massasoit, came not to celebrate, but they kind of came as a reminder that they controlled the land the pilgrims were staying on and that they vastly outnumbered their new European neighbors. So how about that? But then like 50 years later, European settlers would multiply rapidly, vastly outnumber the indigenous people, and the rest is history. So there you go, guys. There's your quick down and dirty summary of kind of really what went down all those many centuries ago that makes you have turkey dinner for uh, your Thanksgiving feast. We'll be more with some, uh, we'll be back with some more international news for you. Stick around with me. I got a lot to get to and some funny stuff for you coming up. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy. Your football buddy. Or you, your best man. Your worst man. You, your dog walker. Your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. All right, guys, back here in the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here with you. Uh, please follow me on Twitter, by the way, for breaking news throughout the week, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and you can check out my Instagram, at BK Actual. Plenty of... Cool guy pictures over there and news links for you to follow. All right, let's keep going around the world here and see what's going on. Sadly, we had some tragic news breaking. A veteran CIA officer has been killed in combat in Somalia within the last few days, according to current and former U.S. officials. So this is a death, obviously, that is likely to reignite debate over American counterterrorism operations in Africa. So this CIA officer was a member of the CIA's paramilitary division, the Special Activity Center, and a former member of the Navy's SEAL Team 6. Now, his identity remains classified, and the circumstances of the killing, we don't really know. It's not clear whether the officer was killed in a counterterrorism raid or was the victim 
of an enemy attack. Of course, the CIA, as they are wont to do, declined to comment. Of course, his death will lead to another star being added to the wall in the CIA's lobby, where it memorializes its fallen officers. The past 20 years have placed a heavy burden on the agency, with dozens of stars added, bringing the total to 135 stars on that wall. And just a side note, uh, I have uh, one of my old bosses has a star on that wall. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> it's so stupid, honestly. You know, honestly, right here now, I don't even care or give a crap. But the circumstances of how he was killed are not what they were portrayed in the media at all. Uh, I was fortunate enough to work on some contracts for various government agencies where I came into contact with people who knew all about how it went down in his death. Um, I so badly want to talk about it, but I guess I shouldn't. But honestly, he was a great guy, and uh, he was a chief master sergeant in the Air Force, Nick McCaskill, uh, pararescueman like I was, PJ, and he was a, just an awesome operator. And he was still a reservist in the Air Force while he was working for the agency. And he was in the same type of gig, the Special Activities Division. And I remember, you know, when I was a new PJ, he was kind of like my guy, took me under his wing. And I learned a ton from him. And, you know, I still miss the guy a lot. Uh, I remember when I got out of the military, I was medically retired. And, you know, he always, like, kept in touch. He, you know, hit me up every few months just to check in. And, you know, it really meant a lot to me. And so I'm really thankful that I got to know him and uh, it, it was, it's something else. You know, all this stuff is not free. You know, we send these guys over there to do work and it's bloody work. It's thankless work. And a lot of people don't even know it's happening until somebody's coming home in a body bag. And it's uh, sad. I miss him a lot. So rest in peace, Nick. Of course, combined, uh, compared with the U.S. military, the death of CIA officers in combat is pretty rare, but the paramilitary work is by far the most dangerous task at the agency. So, the death of this new CIA paramilitary officer comes as a draft order is circulating at the Pentagon in which virtually all of the more than 700 American military forces in Somalia conducting training and counterterrorism missions would depart by the time President Trump leaves office in January. Of course, the big uh, kind of well, I almost I almost dropped I almost dropped a genital reference <laughs> again. The big honcho player over in that area is, of course, the Shabab, that is the Al Qaeda terror group based in Somalia, and they do remain a deadly threat. And they did claim responsibility this week for killing a group of American-trained Somali soldiers. However, no Americans were killed in that attack. Now, according to the New York Times, inside the CIA, Somalia has long been considered a particularly dangerous war zone, and senior intelligence officers have and are debating whether counterterrorism operations there are even worth the risk to American lives. Uh, as many people in the agency believe the Shabab is at worst a regional threat to Africa and perhaps to American interests there, but not beyond the region. Yeah, and that's what I was saying yesterday, you guys, when I filled in about the Taliban and ISIS in Afghanistan. I mean, what the hell are we spending all these hundreds of billions of dollars on Department of Homeland Security if we can't keep murderous terrorists out from Afghanistan and Somalia? Really? I mean, that because the, their only argument that they cling to ferociously 
is, oh, we got to fight them over there so they don't come to America. And I'm like, really? Again, the it raises the specter of, uh, you know, the uh, truckloads of uh, Taliban fighters in their Toyota Hiluxes streaming across the southern border, which is absurd. But that's what they think. I mean, honestly, if you look at it that way, the drug cartels who operate freely in Mexico and Central America are far more of a pressing danger, in my opinion, if you ask me, than these uh, cave dwellers 5,000 miles away who would love nothing more than for us to just leave and be left alone, according to them. And here you go in this same article. Other counterterrorism experts believe that if left unchecked, the Shabab could emerge as the same kind of global threat as the Islamic State and Al-Qaeda have been. Uh, much less. It's, it seems like it's... Remember, like, you know, 10 years ago when everybody was terrified that, like, ISIS and Taliban fighters and Al-Qaeda were going to rampage through the United States? And then it just never even happened. The Shabab is the most active affiliate of Al-Qaeda. Uh, members of the group were arrested while taking flying lessons in the Philippines, of all things. That's a hot spot, too, the Philippines. And others have sought to procure surface-to-air missiles. So decisions about whether to uh, you know, keep this counterterrorism operation going in Somalia is going to be a major national security decision for President-elect Joe Biden Jr., so the Trump administration plan under discussion, the one that pulls the troops out, would not apply to U.S. troops stationed in nearby Kenya and Djibouti, where American drones that carry out airstrikes in Somalia are based. Remember, the acting defense secretary, new guy, Christopher Miller, announced plans last week to reduce troop levels in both Afghanistan and Iraq to 2,500 in January, but Pentagon officials said this week that they were still working out details of any kind of drawdown in Somalia. And of you know, Somalia is a complete basket case. The security there is increasingly dire, despite that sustained flurry of American drone strikes. Yeah, we've been droning them into the Stone Age. And U.S.-backed ground raids against Shabab fighters. A recent assessment by the Inspector General of the Defense and State Department said, quote, despite many years of sustained Somali, U.S., and international counterterrorism pressure, the terrorist threat in East Africa is not degraded. Shabab retains freedom of movement in many parts of southern Somalia and has demonstrated an ability and intent to attack outside the country, including targeting U.S. interests, end quote. Those officers on the CIA paramilitary teams, I mean, those guys put in work. That is probably the most dangerous job in the entire thing. Uh, they're really on their own. A lot of times I know that they're, I knew, I, like I said, I got to know a few of them. A lot of times they're, they're out in Indian country surrounded with their own guys, you know, that they pay off and they're taking the fight to the enemy. It's the real tip of the spear. These officers are conducting all kinds of raids and operations in uh, really austere locations. I mean, we're talking, like I said, the boonies, Indian country, bad guy territory. So most of uh, many of these uh, agents were killed in Afghanistan, where overall at least 20 have died since the beginning of the war there. 
it's hard to say whether other officers have been killed in Somalia in recent years. Like I said, a lot of this stuff is classified even in death, which is friggin' stupid in my opinion. But that's just the way that's just the way they do it. And I don't see like from what everything Joe Biden's saying, he plans to kind of just keep the keep that gravy train going. Let's keep taking the fight overseas to all these random places. So we'll see what happens. But it doesn't sound like he wants to pull out anytime soon. All right, guys, we'll be back after this with more on the Jesse Kelly show. I love natural medicines. I use natural medicines as often as humanly possible. Now, let me be clear. It's not that I want to sit around the fire and breathe some special kind of weed from some exotic place. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is this. We all put too many man-made chemicals in our body. We just, we just do. It's the nature of living how we live now. If you can find natural solutions, don't you think that's a healthier route for you? It is. Go Use them. Natural medicines and holistic healing approaches are known to help alleviate issues like anxiety, headaches, joint pain, and more. I go the CBD route. I buy Be Best Organics from DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. That's what I buy. I love that they're made in the USA. I love that they test every single batch. Go to DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Use the promo code JESSE for free shipping and 10% off. All right, back with the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here. Guys, thanks for hanging out with me on Thanksgiving. I really appreciate it. Let's keep going. Uh, if you've been listening to the podcast at all, of course, you can find my podcast, World News with BK, on all your streaming platforms. You know, one of the things I love are heists. I love a good heist story, especially if it's like international criminal gang. I mean, I've long said I would really like somebody to give me a point of contact with one of these international criminal gangs because I feel like I would fit right in there. I mean... I mean, guys, come on. My resume speaks for itself. I'm highly skilled in small arms, large arms. Uh, I have been have tons and tons of training in getaway driving, aggressive driving, all that stuff. I've got the high angle background with the rope skills. I look unbelievable in a tailored suit, you know, jacked, tan. The arms are like just the, the veins in the arms are looking banging. I mean, it's it's all it's overall it's a good look. I think the resume speaks for itself. So if any of you guys have any points of contact with these international criminal gangs, I'm just saying I'm way more qualified than almost everybody they're going to find off the street. Okay, so just come on, let's get it done. And I'm I'm willing to commit major major crimes here. Okay, so it's when it comes to heists. So that being said, let's talk about this story that was uh, coming out today. And let's go over to Cambridge University Library in the UK. So here's what happened. So 20 years ago, two historic notebooks belonging to the renowned naturalist Charles Darwin were found missing from the archives at Cambridge University Library. Now, these tiny books recorded Darwin's thoughts after he returned to England from his famous voyage aboard Her Majesty's ship Beagle, HMS Beagle, as he kind of put together all these ideas that would form the foundations of modern evolutionary biology. 
Now, though, the library has said that it believes the notebooks were most likely stolen, and it launched a public appeal for any information about their whereabouts on Tuesday. They even got uh, Interpol involved. Uh, the local police say they have asked Interpol to place the items on its stolen works of arts register. It's always weird to me when people steal, if in fact were stolen, we'll get into it in a minute. It's always weird to me when people steal these like one of a kind things. Like, you know, I do these high speed heist stories where they're stealing like these um, like one of a kind jewels. Because it's not like you can just like, you know, walk into a pawn shop and sell that. You know, you're you got to like sell that to some like collector who just really wants it. And then he can never even really show it off because it's stolen property. Right. So you got to have some deep pocketed dude who just really wants to like sit in a room and like look at it. I mean, unless it's like gold that you can melt down or something, I could see that. And that has happened, by the way. I've done stories where they stole like, you know, precious gold and stuff and they just melted it down. But like, you know, some of these jewels. Uh, you know, famous old books and stuff like that. I mean, you can't, like I said, walk into like the used bookstore and just sell it. So a little bit more about the library. It does house the largest collection of Darwin's writings. Uh, again, they say these missing notebooks, they describe them as priceless, but they had to put a dollar amount on them. So they did estimate their value at millions of British pounds. So one page that is reproduced around the world in museum exhibits, uh, gives his first sketch of a tree of life, mapping out how related species could diverge from a common ancestor, just like branches of a tree diverging from a trunk. So these notebooks were first listed as missing in January of 2001, and staff at the library had long thought they had simply been misplaced among its vast collection of around 10 million books and objects. But after an exhaustive search which the library has said, by the way, was the largest search of its kind in its history, the library curators have concluded that they were likely stolen. And it's a little bit harder now because library protocols at the time they think these books went missing were a lot different. You know, they didn't have all the security stuff. Like now they have strong rooms. They have, you know, specialized reading rooms, you know, with controlled access. They have closed-circuit television monitoring, enhanced security. All that stuff's been added, uh, particularly since 2001. And any significant missing object now would be reported almost immediately. But this was, you know, back in the day before all that. So these notebooks were long held in the library's special collections strong rooms, home to the most valuable and rare items in the collection. And in the September of 2000, they were taken out to be photographed. Well, during a routine check a month later, a small box containing the two notebooks was found missing. So despite years of searching, they were never found. So that's why they concluded they were likely to have been stolen. This is fascinating. The public appeal was launched to coincide with the anniversary of Darwin's publication of his seminal work On the Origin of Species, which was first published in November 24th, 1859. So there you go. That's great stuff. I, I can't get enough of it. All right, let's keep going. What else do I have for you guys? Well, let's uh, go some a little bit closer to home. A Starbucks barista says she was fired for refusing to wear a pride shirt. God. See, 
See, this is what you get. This is what you get, corporate America, when you try to mandate like some kind of social justice cause in your store and then somebody doesn't want to do it. You just get a big mess. Is it too hard? Just have everybody wear Starbucks stuff. I haven't even gotten the story yet and it's already pissing me off. This is what you get. So what happened here? All right, a New Jersey woman has filed suit against Starbucks claiming she was wrongfully terminated for refusing to wear an official company pride shirt that she says violated her religious beliefs. So this is a woman named Betsy Fressy. She began working as a barista in Hoboken in 2018, and she said her managers knew of her religious beliefs. She regularly requested Sundays and certain evenings off to attend church, for example. So a few months later, she transfers to a Starbucks in New Jersey. And in June 2019, she and other staffers attended a meeting in the store manager's office where she claims she saw a box of Starbucks Pride t-shirts on the floor by his desk. Uh, If you don't know, let me just spell it out for you. Pride is obviously referring to the LGBT community. So, after the room cleared out, Fressy asked the manager if she would be required to wear the shirt during her work shifts. Now, according to her, he said she would not have to. But per her suit, which was filed last week in U.S. District Court, she was contacted by Starbucks Ethics and Compliance Helpline several weeks later regarding her request to be exempt from wearing the Pride shirt. She explained to the ethics and compliance representative she did not want to wear the pride shirt because her religious beliefs prevented her from doing so. Then, on August 22, 2019, she was notified she was being terminated because, quote, her comportment, great word right there, was not in compliance with Starbucks's core values, end quote. According to her notice of separation, when she was handed a pride shirt, which Starbucks is maintaining employees were not required to wear, Fressy said she did not want to wear it and that her co-workers, quote, need Jesus, end quote. (laughs) Uh, She claimed that all people need Jesus and that all Christians are called to express in word and deed Christ's love for everyone. All right, so she maintains she serves all her customers with respect and holds no enmity towards individuals who ascribe to the LGBTQ lifestyle. Who, who They don't like that. They don't like when you call it a lifestyle, by the way. Um, that, that's a, because they're, you know, in their eyes for the, for, the gay, for the gay people, they're like, this isn't a lifestyle, this is me as a person. So that's always their, they don't like it when you call it a lifestyle. Uh, But being ordered to wear a pride shirt as a condition of employment, the suit alleges, would be tantamount to forced speech. Hmm. Now, a Starbucks spokesman said that her claims are without merit and the company is prepared to present its case in court. Uh, The spokesman added that other than Starbucks' trademark green apron, no part of our dress code requires partners to wear any approved items that they have not personally selected. Okay, well, so is this just a grift here right now? Hmm. Yeah, this is this is what you get, man. This is And it's the same thing. You know, they're having trouble with this, the Black Lives Matter stuff. Just wear the green apron and a plain shirt. That's what the, your new dress code should be. There you go. Give me $100,000, Starbucks, for your uh, for consulting fee. More after this on The Jesse Kelly Show.
One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has pre-diabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. All right, let's keep going on this special Thanksgiving edition of the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here with you guys while Jesse has the day off. Hey, I want to talk about this story a little bit. Everybody knows... Oh, let me give you guys a pop quiz. Who is Kyle Rittenhouse? You guys should probably all know this one, right? Of course, Kyle Rittenhouse was the young man who shot and killed several people in Kenosha, Wisconsin during the Black Lives Matter protests. You guys remember this, right? Well, he... And a company got in a little bit of a kerfuffle over the internet, which I thought I kind of wanted to talk about. Remember, Kyle Rittenhouse was just released on $2 million bail on November 20th, right? So he's out of jail. And then shortly afterwards, a journalist and podcast host named Elijah Schaefer tweeted out a picture of Kyle Rittenhouse wearing a shirt that advertised Black Rifle Coffee Company. And I'm looking at the picture right now. It's the picture of uh, him. He's with Ricky Schroeder, of all people. <laughs> like that's, that's a whole other tangent that I don't understand. Like, bro, how did you even get involved, Ricky Schroeder? And second of all, I'm reading where Ricky Schroeder put up like hundreds of thousands of dollars, and I'm like, damn, dude, he's got that much dough? I mean, I guess he did NYPD. Was he NYPD Blue or something? Because all I remember him from is like the Silver Spoons. That was like, you know, decades ago. But then I know he was, I think he was like NYPD Blue, but he wasn't on there that long. But he, man, those TV residuals must pay some good money, man. So anyway, he put out this uh, this picture of him wearing a shirt. And of course, it's a little bit touchy because he's facing, Rittenhouse's five criminal charges for killing two men and wounding another. And the charges do include first-degree intentional homicide, first-degree reckless homicide, and attempted first-degree intentional homicide. I'm not going to get into the actual charges itself. Uh, I've covered it ad nauseum on the podcast. It kind of depends what you, you know think about the whole situation. So what happened was, I'm just scrolling down here. Um, I just want to go to the part where the podcast host guy chimes in. Of course, this article doesn't want to open up for me at all. But anyway, long story short, the problem came when he tweeted out the picture and then the podcast host, who is sponsored by Black Rifle Coffee, he made a second tweet, which has kind of been deleted uh, since then, 
which kind of implied that, hey, if you like Black Rifle, if you love Kyle Rittenhouse, you know, be sure to buy this coffee and stuff like that. So there's no direct connection. But all over the internet was basically people like just hating on Black Rifle Coffee. And this was, you know, they, they irritated a lot of liberals anyway. You guys remember a few years ago, remember the whole like Keurig uh, thing where Donald Trump Jr. was like, you know, getting into it with Keurig coffee, and then Donald Trump Jr. said, "Well, you should drink Black Rifle coffee instead." So then that so Black Rifle coffee kind of embraced it. And Black Rifle coffee is known as like they're conservative kind of guys. They love guns. I mean, look at the name of it for God's sakes. So they like the uh, they like all the guns and stuff, and they're uh, a conservative coffee company, and they've been pretty outspoken about their conservative values. But Black Rifle coffee put out in a tweet quote we do not sponsor nor do we have a relationship with the 17 year old facing charges in kenosha wisconsin and so they do not have um a partnership uh let's see now the thing is about rittenhouse you know he was able to buy this ar-15 by using his COVID-19 stimulus check. God, see, that's you shouldn't have done that, Kyle. Oh, man. Anyway, I have the statement from Evan Hafer, who is the CEO of Black Rifle Coffee. And I actually know Evan from a little while ago. I was on a contract with the U.S. government, and Evan was a firearms instructor. This was prior to him being in the coffee business. I don't even know if he remembers me at all. I was around him for like a week or so. Uh, but really good dude, and you know what? He's a veteran, he's an entrepreneur, and let's hear from Evan Hay for himself. Let's listen to what he says about all this. Hey, guys. First and foremost, I wanted to thank everyone for all your continued support for Black Rifle Coffee. Uh, we've been in quite a little fight the last couple of days across social media. There's been a lot of misinformation, a lot of hearsay and speculation thrown out there. So I wanted to get the facts straight with you guys. Uh, number one, did we sponsor Kyle Rittenhouse? Uh, the answer is no. The reason for that, the reason why I think it's important is that we're not in the business of profiting from tragedy. We're not in the business of profiting from this event. We have zero interest in collecting $1 from any of this. It is ethically inappropriate for us to do so or even give the perception. So why did we come out and say that? I wanted to make sure everybody knew we would not profit from this. Okay, so number two, did we separate our Blaze Media marketing contract because of that? No, we had a series of discussions with Blaze because there was a promotional code attached to an image of this. We said we do not want to be associated with profiting from this. Same thing I just said. We don't want to be associated with profiting from this. Can you please remove it? But our marketing relationship with the Blaze, we've had that for two years. Nothing changed with it. We believe in what they put out. We believe in that relationship. Number three, we believe in the Constitution, the Second Amendment, the right to bear arms. Uh, we also believe that a person is innocent until proven guilty. Black Rifle Coffee has been around for five years. We have over 400 people, 55% of those people are veterans. Okay, let me just stop Evan there because I'm running out of time, you guys. But we'll, uh, I want to, I have a few more things I want to say about this uh, when we come back from the break. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. 
Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Okay, just to finish off this hour, guys, before the break, we're talking about Black Rifle Coffee and just a few thoughts here. You know, I feel really bad for them because, like I said, I, I, I root for any veteran entrepreneur. It's hard when you get out of the military, and it's very hard to be an entrepreneur. I know that for a fact as I'm trying to be one myself. So I feel real bad for them because, honestly, they kind of uh, – all they did was piss off everybody. Like, the conservatives are now all mad at them because they're, like, mad because they didn't stand up for Kyle Rittenhouse, which is dumb. I mean, they're not obligated to do that at all, and it's a delicate situation, and they're not in any way, shape, or form obligated to the guy. So now all the conservatives are mad at him for, like, they're selling out, right? And all the liberals already hated him because of the aforementioned connection with Donald Trump Jr. from a few years ago. And I go on Twitter all the time, and I see all these very woke vets. You know, most of them were not in any combat MOS at all, but they get off on just killing uh, Black Rifle Coffee. They just call them, they, they disparage them. They're just a bunch of vet bros. That's their term of disparagement for any, like, dude who has actually did stuff in the military besides sit in the office somewhere. Yeah, you're just a vet bro with your beard and your gun, you know? And they, they mock them. They would never do that to their face, of course, but they do it on social media all the time. So I kind of feel bad um, for the company and Evan. Uh, and I, but I just think, you know, it's stay the course. They'll get past it. And, you know, you can't please everybody all the time. It's it's very difficult. And they certainly didn't ask for any of this. This podcast host kind of screwed them with that uh, whole tweet. Uh, but hopefully it blows over. And I'm rooting for them just like I root for all veteran entrepreneurs. That's my final thought on it. Back with more after this on The Jesse Kelly Show. Jesse Kelly returns next. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Okay, welcome back, you guys. Again, BK here sitting in for Jesse Kelly. Really appreciate Jesse giving me the reins, having the big chair, the big cheese, the honcho, the man in charge, all the rest of it. Uh, please follow me on Twitter at Bravo Kilo, actually, guys, throughout the week for breaking news and some news that was breaking on this special Thanksgiving day was that Trump is pardoning General Michael Flynn. How about that one? I know a lot of people wanted that. To be honest with you guys, you know, this is one of those stories that, like, so I've been doing the podcast now about four years. Uh, every week, it's unbelievable. By far, probably the best podcast you'll ever listen to. But one of the things that I kind of steered clear was a lot of the convoluted Washington stories. Like, And this was one of them. Like I said, I'll, I'll cover it when something happens. 
I was similar to the Mueller report, right? Remember that? It was impossible to keep up with all the twists and turns and day-to-day nonsense that the stupid media was convulsing themselves about every single day, and I just couldn't get into it. So I was like, okay, well, when something happens, I'll cover it. It was kind of similar to the Michael Flynn thing. Honestly, if you ask me right now, before I even do the story, like what did Michael Flynn exactly do, I couldn't even really tell you. (laughs) That's how much it bored me. But... I, I could see the liberal media reaction, and of course, the uh, traitor is trending all over Twitter because of Michael Flynn. So, let's see if we can understand what happened with this convoluted mess. So, basically, Trump, yes, he did pardon his former national security advisor, Michael Flynn, who had twice pleaded guilty to lying to the FBI about his conversations with a Russian diplomat, and whose prosecution attorney general, William Barr, tried to shut down. So Trump wrote on Twitter on Wednesday, quote, It is my great honor to announce that General Michael Flynn has been granted a full pardon, end quote. So this would appear to bring to an end the drawn-out saga of Michael Flynn. Now, the Justice Department had moved in the spring to withdraw the charge against him after a public campaign by Trump and his allies, but the judge overseeing the case, a guy named Emmett Sullivan, had held up the request to scrutinize its legitimacy. So the case kind of just lingered on, and it was delayed at first by Flynn's unsuccessful attempt to get an appeals court to block Judge Sullivan from reviewing the basis for you know, Barr intervening in the case, and then by further weeks of inaction from the judge. He just kind of was sitting on it and doing nothing. So then Trump ultimately moved to uh, take care of business. Now, Flynn, remember, was the only White House official to be convicted as part of the Trump-Russia investigation that was completed by the special counsel aforementioned Robert S. Mueller III. Saint Robert, as I dubbed him on the podcast. Remember all those silly liberals with their Robert Mueller candles and all that nonsense? You guys remember that? They really did that. (laughs) Imagine being being a grown-ass adult and buying candles from some political hack. Like he's going to say, remember that? Remember it's Mueller time? You guys remember all this? Yeah, I know you don't remember any of it. Uh, I cannot believe the nonsense that we went through the last four years. Anyway, so uh, under Trump and Barr, the administration had been trying to discredit and dismantle the inquiry. Uh, So what actually happened here? Well, one guy... Is named John Gleason. He's a former federal judge and mafia prosecutor appointed by Judge Sullivan to critique the Justice Department's attempt to drop the case against Mr. Flynn. Argued that the claimed basis for the request made no sense and seemed to be cover for a politically motivated favor. He said, in, in his defense, the Gleason guy, he said that Judge Sullivan should either sentence Flynn or that Trump should just pardon him. So now, Judge Sullivan, because Trump has done the pardon will likely dismiss the matter. Um, now, the typical uh, the hacks in Congress were not happy with this. Republican, I'm sorry, Representative Democrat, of course, Adam Schiff of California, chairman of the House Intelligence Committee, said, quote, Flynn lied to the FBI about his communications with the Russians, efforts which undermined U.S. foreign policy after sanctions were imposed on Russia for interfering in our elections. And Flynn pled guilty to those lies twice, end quote. So, 
Remember, Flynn was the former head of the, the Defense Intelligence Agency and a decorated lieutenant general. He was an avid supporter of Trump's campaign. He was rewarded when Trump named him National Security Advisor shortly after winning the 2016 elections. He did ignore warnings from President Barack Obama, who voiced concerns about Flynn's management of the Defense Intelligence Agency. So, what exactly did he do? Here we go. I know, i got to go down to like the eighth paragraph. It came to light that Flynn was lying to his colleagues... Um, about conversations he had in December of 2016. So this is in Obama's lame duck term. Obama's a lame duck. Trump has won the election. With the Russian ambassador, Sergei Kislyak. In, the, in those phone calls, Flynn urged Moscow not to escalate in response to sanctions imposed by the departing Obama administration over Russia's covert election interference to help Mr. Trump and raised the possibility that the incoming Trump administration would work more closely with Russia. So, the pattern of lying raised suspicions about Flynn. The FBI sent agents to interview him at the White House, even though deliberations with the Justice Department about whether to first tell Trump's new White House counsel were not yet resolved. Notes from a meeting related to that interview suggest a purpose of the interview may have been to see whether Mr. Flynn would lie again to the FBI agents as he then did. So, despite firing Flynn, Trump then asked the FBI director at the time, James Comey, to end any investigation into Mr. Flynn. And then details about the president's request became public a few months later after Trump fired Comey and helped prompt Mueller's appointment as special counsel. So you probably saw over time Flynn's case became, became like a big cause on right-wing social media. Uh, people were putting like, you know, three stars in their Twitter profiles for his three stars that he wore as a general. Though Mr. Flynn had pleaded guilty and agreed to cooperate in another criminal trial, uh, he later hired a new lawyer. Does this name sound familiar? Sidney Powell. Remember her? Yeah, the, she's the election nut. I got more about that too. So, Mr. Flynn was never charged in connection with the issue with Turkey. The White House did not immediately release the text of the pardon itself, so it was not clear whether it was written in a way that would foreclose any potential legal liability for Mr. Flynn on that or other matters, like making conflicting statements to Judge Sullivan as part of pleading guilty and then trying to withdraw that plea. However, in that tweet that I just read, Trump did describe the pardon as a full pardon. All right, so what else? Like, I, you know, I'm still trying to get to the bottom of it. Um, Justice Department prosecutors had portrayed his admitted guilt in both matters as a betrayal of trust by a high-ranking official. And they said the defendant, this is a quote from the DOJ, they said, quote, the defendant monetized his power and influence over our government and lied to mask it. When the FBI and DOJ needed information that only the defendant could provide because of that power and influence, he denied them that information. And so an official tasked with protecting our national security instead compromised it, end quote. So this is all, okay, so basically if I'm cutting through the weeds here, so they asked him about the phone call he had with Kislyak, and this was during the Obama administration, and he lied about the phone call. It's unclear to me why, though, he lied. Because we've seen Joe Biden's like incoming administration. They're talking to like foreign leaders right now. 
So what's the big freaking deal? I don't. I just don't. I don't get it. The, obviously, the the lie itself is the problem. But why did he lie? Why didn't you say, "Yeah, I talked to the guy." What? What about what? Who cares? That's what I don't. Still don't really even get. Um. God, this article just goes on and on from the New York Times. Uh, let me see. Anything else in here? Yeah. Uh, remember Powell, the lawyer. She was uh, known before taking on the Flynn case on her Fox News appearances bashing the Russia inquiry. She also sold T-shirts attacking Mueller and his team on her website. <laughs> That's great. Uh, I still don't understand, you guys. I don't get it. All right. Uh, forget about Flynn. I never want to hear it again. More after this on The Jesse Kelly Show. I love using natural medicines, holistic healing approaches, because they're known to help alleviate issues like anxiety, headaches, joint pain, and more. I choose CBD. And because I choose CBD, well, that's step number one. Step number two is finding the right CBD, because there are tons of them to choose from. And I'm not going to go research the entire industry. I don't even know what I'm looking for. Even if I had the time to go research it all, my goodness, I, I don't have the know-how. Doctors Trusted CBD Company does, though. You see, they've been doing this since 1999. They researched the whole industry to make sure they find the best, highest quality CBD. That's what they found, and that's what they sell at DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. That's why you can buy Be Best Organics there. DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Use the promo code JESSE. That gets you free shipping and 10% off. All right, back here, you guys, on the Jesse Kelly Show, a special Thanksgiving edition of the Jesse Kelly Show. However, Jesse has a day off, and it's BK hanging out with you guys. Really appreciate it. Go check out that podcast, World News with BK. You know, one thing I get a lot of is you guys sending me great stories. You can uh, send them to me on Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual, or my Instagram, at BK Actual. And that's really, people are always asking me, like, dude, how do you find these stories? And a lot of it is all of you sending them to me, and indeed... Here is such one, and one look at the headline, and I was hooked. And here's a Daily Beast story. Here's the headline. Quote, inside the neo-Nazi cabal tied to Marines and a porn star. End quote. Okay, you have my attention. So what's, what's going on here? Well, an active duty Marine assigned to Camp Lejeune in North Carolina has been charged in an illegal firearms conspiracy which prosecutors allege was run by a cabal of neo-Nazi ex-military guys who wanted to create a modern-day SS, okay? You know, like the Nazis. The evidence includes a sickening video of live-fire weapons training. This is the Daily Beast, so there's a little bit of editorializing going on here. That ended with the masked participants giving Heil Hitler salutes before a slide with the message, quote, come home, white man, end quote. <laughs> it also includes chat logs in which the men discuss shooting anti-racism protesters. God, you know, every time they have one of these, you know, it's similar to those goofs who were going to, like, kidnap the Michigan governor from a few months ago. You guys remember that? Uh, here's, my, here's my tip to you guys. 
okay? All you would-be criminals. Try to not lay out in excruciating detail the elements of your criminal conspiracy on the internet, okay? I'm just saying, might want to just uh, talk about it, meet up in person. Probably not the best idea to lay it all out on the internet. Just saying, because almost assuredly, you've been infiltrated already. So who are these goofs? Well... One was 21-year-old Justin Wade Hermanson. He was named in a federal indictment along with Liam Collins, also 21, and Jordan Duncan, 26. Those last two guys, Collins and Duncan, were both ex-Marines who did serve at Camp Lejeune. There's a fourth guy charged, and he's got an interesting background. His name is Paul Chriscuck, K-R-Y-S-C-U-K. Could be Chriscuck, I don't know. He's 35, And he's reportedly, get this, a porn star who specializes in abusing black women. I guess that's a thing. His his screen name, if you want to look him up, was Pauly Harker. Cool screen name. So he linked up with Collins, who was drummed out of the military last year for extremist posts, on something called Iron March. That is a now-defunct fascist forum that gave birth to the terrorist organization Atomwaffen Division. I've never heard of any of this. I, I vaguely heard of Atomwaffen. Vaguely. So here's what they planned to do. They wanted to have a paramilitary organization that would buy up land and eventually wage a guerrilla war on urban Americans. <laughs> urban is in quotes. So Collins, who had just enlisted in the Marines and did not leave the service until this September, described his vision in a 2017 post on this Iron March forum. He wrote out the following, quote, Everyone in the group is going to be required to have served in the nation's military, whether U.S., U.K., or Poland. It's a goal for the long term. I'll be in the USMC for four years while my comrades work the group's physical formation. It will take years to gather all the experience and intelligence that we need to utilize, but that's what makes it fun. It takes a man's willpower and heart to make a commitment like this. That's how they sound to me in my head. End quote, by the way. Uh, So the black woman abusing porn star also, in in a message to Collins, he fantasized about bringing about the balkanization of America by buying up swaths of land in white, rural, conservative areas of the country. And he wrote, quote, First order of business is knocking down the system, mounting it and smashing its face until it has been beaten past the point of death, he wrote, end quote. And he also put, uh, eventually we will have to bring the rifles out and go to work. Uh, What else did they do? These three guys also combined forces to manufacture and modify weapons. Oh, boy. Yeah, that's never a good idea. Making them more lethal and harder to trace by law enforcement, some of which were allegedly sold to Marines. Oh, boy. And then the three guys all became... uh, I'm sorry. Let me back up. One of the guys became a military contractor after leaving the Marines. Hmm, maybe I wonder if I know this guy. Probably a little bit before my, uh, after my time, but still. So after this, over this last summer when all those Black Lives Matter protests were going on, Duncan and Chrisuk stalked the protesters. And uh, messages between the two of them talked about shooting the protesters. 
Hmm. The Boise, Idaho Police Department, uh, con- uh, they, they confirmed that the group had put down stakes in its city. And yeah, they're just totally screwed. I don't... <laughs> like, man... There's just you the big the the weapons charges is the big one. They are going to hammer these guys on federal charges, and they're going to get twenty years probably with all this stuff. Plus, probably with the messages, they might add on a hate crime indictment on that as well. Oh, dude, I don't know what these guys are thinking. Oh, another thing, by the way, just for, as a side note, about every couple months on the podcast, I'm doing a story about some military guy who's getting arrested by the ATF for importing those fuel filters, which can be made into homemade silencers. So I will just tell you guys, here's your uncle BK talking to you right now. If you place one of these orders to the Chinese online site for a bunch of fuel filters, the ATF is watching you. I promise you. (laughs) And they are going to track your package and they are going to watch it go into your house where you're going to take it in your garage and try to uh, drill out the holes that they tell you to drill out to make a baffled silencer, and they are going to arrest you and give you five years in prison. It's not worth it, I'm telling you. And it sucks. I live in California. I can't even have a silencer. Suppressor. Sorry. Yeah, and you, what, you don't think I want a suppressor? Of course I do. It's my constitutional right. But I can't have it. I'm just trying to help you guys out here. Uh, let's see, running out of time here a little bit on this segment, so let me just um, do a quick story here. Uh, Angela Merkel, the Prime Minister of Germany. A car with slogans scrawled on its sides crashed into the gate of her office on Wednesday, and police arrested the driver. Apparently this was political in nature because Reuters had a photographer on the scene, and it showed police inspecting the car at the gate with the words, quote, stop globalization politics, end quote, written on its side. And uh, also, there was another message that read, quote, you damn killers of children and old people on the other, end quote. Hmm. It was not really clear if Merkel was inside the building. This just sounds like some nut. They said the driver appears to be late middle-aged. He was taken away in a wheelchair by the police. Oh, so good. Okay, so what did that accomplish? Oh, I'm looking at the car right now. Yeah, it's like a little hatchback. There's some video of the Polizei, police officers there, opening the door. Yeah, it looks very, very dangerous. Just some, another, people are cracking under the lockdowns, you guys. This is the biggest reason why we need to get out of the lockdowns is because people are bored and they're acting out and everybody's losing their damn minds. And I have plenty more in the lockdowns that we're going to get into next segment. But um, that's the number one reason to get rid of all of it. I mean, I'm with Jesse on this one. We disagree about some stuff, but for sure, it's time to end all the lockdowns and put everybody, get everybody back to work. We can't go on like this. It cannot stand. It can't do it anymore. People are just losing their minds. So more after this on the Jesse Kelly program. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy. 
Or you, your best man, your worst man. <gasps> you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. All right, let's keep going here, you guys. BK here with you, sitting in for Jesse Kelly. Thanksgiving Day. That's right. I'm about to go crush some turkey later on. Uh, I, I'm about the turkey. I know Jesse was on Twitter mocking turkey, but you know, it, it, and he's kind of right. He did, I saw where he put on Twitter, Jesse was writing that, you know, you never go to a restaurant and order turkey, you know, on any other day of the year. This is like literally the only day you eat or see turkey. And it's a good point. I can't really argue it. And he's like all about like the ribeye. But dude, that being said, I mean, come on. The hot turkey with the gravy, the mashed potatoes, I'm about it. I'd, I'll, I'll cry. I'll take the white meat. I'll take the dark meat. The deep fried turkey is the bomb. That's the way to go. Almost, It's almost impossible to screw up, unless you burn your house down, of course. Uh, so I'm about Thanksgiving, and I'm going to get some serious eats in. But first, we got some business to do. Let's keep going here. Hey, how about we talk about this monolith they found in the Utah desert? This is cool. A team surveying bighorn sheep for Utah's wildlife agency found the strange object. It's about 10 to 12 feet tall. And it's embedded in the ground in a remote part of Red Rock County. They think it's like a piece of art. It's like this three-sided metal monolith. I'm looking at it. It's just like it's like chrome, you know, like metal, like stainless steel almost. No etchings of it or marks on it of any kind, and it's like mounted into the ground. Uh, the Utah Department of Public Safety revealed the monolith's existence to the world this week. And they said a uh, team found the unusual object during a survey. And the object was found in a remote area that they described as rugged and very rocky with many canyons and potential hazards. They said it's a very tough place to get to on vehicle and on foot. So these survey guys fly pretty low so they can identify the gender of the sheep. Hmm. Is <laughs> How do you do? You can do that from a plane or a helicopter. Man, oh, I guess okay. They're bighorn sheep, so I guess if they don't have the horns. That's that means it's a chick, right? I'm just assuming that. I know nothing about wildlife, you guys. I'm a total city boy. I'll own it. Yes, although I was a barrel-chested freedom-fighting commando. I grew up in the city. I live in the city. I'm about you know ordering Uber Eats and all that stuff. I'm uncomfortable if I can't take an Uber somewhere quickly. Um, I go and visit my friends in the country. I like it, but I'm ready to get back to the city when I'm over it. So don't make fun of me of my, for my inability to spot the gender of the bighorn sheep, because I don't know. So what else about this? The survey crew 
in video release can be seen descending into the uh, canyon above this object. And they were kind of uh, joking around with it, going, "What? Oh, they? Oh, that's cool. They there's there's two guys in a picture here, and they're stand. One guy is standing on top of the other one's shoulders, and he's just able to look on top of it to give you an idea like how tall this thing is. So they do think some kook just put it in the ground for like you know art, and obviously this is a sort of homage to the. Stanley Kubrick film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. You guys remember that? Remember at the beginning of that movie, that's when a black slab is found by the uh, monkeys, the agitated primates, and they start all fighting each other. So, what else about this? Everybody was like asking, like, what do you think this thing is? Some theorized that it was a satellite beacon. Some said it was a leftover movie prop because that area has served as a backdrop for films like Indiana Jones, Star Trek, and the Mission Impossible movies. So, But they uh, talked to somebody from the Utah Film Commission who said, no, they don't think so. And then they started asking about all the sculptors around the area, like all the people in New Mexico, and asking them if they knew anything about it. Like, there's one dude who's a metal sculptor based in Salt Lake City. He's like, I have no idea where anything about this or what it is. So they said the monolith appeared to be made of stainless steel, put together with human-made rivets, and embedded into the rock. And they still they don't know how deep it goes. They said somebody took the time to use some kind of concrete cutting tool or something to really dig down almost in the exact shape of the object and embed it really well. Yeah, they didn't just dig a hole in the sand. And he said, there are roads close by, but to haul all that materials you'd need to cut into the rock and to haul all that metal, which is taller than 12 feet in sections, to do all that in this one spot is pretty interesting. And it would take a lot of work. Now, officials have no idea how long it's been there. They said, for all they know, it's been there. And they've been there since the 40s and 50s. <laughs> Jeez. Uh, see? See how bored everybody is? It, it, I doubt it's been there since the 40s and 50s, but who knows? It is on federally managed land. Utah has millions of acres of federally managed land, so uh, pretty cool stuff over there. The monolith, huh? Yeah. Boy, you, you got some time on your hands if you want to like go out in the middle of the desert and, and, and hump like a bunch of tools and concrete cutting saws out there. Bro, that's like an expedition. I don't know. I got better things to do with my time. Uh, let's go back over the seas here and go to Scotland. Here's a pop quiz, you guys. You're never going to get this one. But who is Abdel Bassett Ali Al Magrahi. Who is that? I'll give you a hint. He was convicted in something in the, an event that occurred in 1988. All right, I know you give, I wouldn't have known this one either. He is the only person convicted in the 1988 bombing of the Pan Am jetliner that killed 270 people over the town of Lockerbie. Remember that? That's the deadliest attack in Britain ever. So why is it in the news? Well, Scotland's highest court began hearing a posthumous appeal on Tuesday for the Libyan man, that's his name, convicted in that. Now, the appeal has been lodged by the, his family, 
And this is the latest turn in a decades-long case that left many details unresolved because Mr. Al-Magrahi insisted on his innocence until he died in 2012. Now, a lawyer for the family says that, quote, we are in possession of much evidence that we have not revealed publicly and that the McGrahis regard their father as the 271st victim of Lockerbie, end quote. Hmm. So this was flight Pan Am 103. It had been traveling to New York from London on December 21st, 1988, when a bomb on board detonated as it flew over the Scottish town of Lockerbie, killing 259 passengers and crew members and 11 people on the ground. Now, Al Magrahi was a former Libyan intelligence officer who was working undercover at Libya's state airline, and he was convicted of organizing the bombing in an unusual 2001 trial in the Netherlands under Scottish law and sentenced to life in prison. Now, he twice did appeal his decision, insisting on his uh, innocence, but he abandoned the second effort after developing terminal cancer to maximize his chance of being released on compassionate grounds. Oh, yeah, I remember this now. Yeah, that's right. They let him out on compassion grounds, and he did return, excuse me, to Libya in 2009. And he was greeted as kind of a hero. When he returned to Libya, he was escorted in by Saif al-Islam. Who is that? That is the son of the Libyan leader, Colonel Muammar al-Qaddafi. And he was greeted with cheers in Libya. Obviously, that angered many families of the victims, particularly Americans. So, prosecutors said al-Magrahi was acting as a terrorist for the government. Now, Libya has denied involvement, but they did pay $2.7 billion to the victims' families in 2003 to end the country's diplomatic isolation. Wow. So, some legal experts do doubt the evidence. One guy, Robert Black, professor emeritus of Scots Law at the University of Edinburgh, said the prosecution was a miscarriage of justice. Yep. They are going to. Uh, they want to. Re, they want to look into this evidence. And some of Al Magrahi's supporters and his family have pointed to a Syrian-based militant group, the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine General Command, alleging that Iran ordered the attack as retaliation against the United States. Iran has denied all this involvement. So fascinating story, guys. The case drags on. We'll keep an eye on it for you. Back with more after this. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
right, let's keep going on this Thanksgiving edition of the Jesse Kelly Show. BK here. Uh, let's do a little homeless roundup, and let's go to Manhattan. And this has been a long-running case over here, but the uh, the latest is that a judge ruled this week that about 200 homeless men will have to vacate a hotel on Manhattan's Upper West Side that has been used as an emergency shelter during the pandemic. <laughs> this is And this is great because this is one of New York City's most liberal enclaves. And this talk about a textbook reason why these stupid hotels should have never allowed this to happen because I and I called it months ago on the podcast. I was like, dude, once they are ensconced in your hotel, you are never getting rid of them. The activists will see to that. And sure enough, they've been battling like crazy to try to get it. The hotel's like, all right, enough already. So this judge in Manhattan said that she would dismiss the proceedings and said the court did lack jurisdiction over this uh, dispute. So a spokesman for the city's law department said the officials began planning to move the men after Thanksgiving. Uh, this was at an Upper West Side hotel called the Lucerne, which, I mean, this was like a nice hotel. They had like valet parking, spa services during pre-pandemic times. It's one of 63 hotels the temp city has temporarily used as shelters to help spread, prevent the spread of coronavirus. Well, the city's strategy has sparked legal threats, protests, news conferences, and all kinds of neighborhood groups. And it's funny, this story, I can already tell, is written in the New York Times. It's written with much, much sympathy. A lot of the stuff they leave out is all the crime and filth that's taking place. And all the guys, you know, touching themselves in broad daylight, hanging out, feces, urine. Yeah, all that stuff. The New York Times is too delicate to put any of that in it. And I love this guy. Here's a quote from the lawyer who represented some of the vagrants. Michael Hiller. How do you end up as a lawyer, a vagrant lawyer? Seriously. Like, how do you do that? Like, that's that's what you spend your life doing? Michael Hiller was very upset about this. He wrote in a text message, quote, Words cannot express how I feel about this decision greenlighting the city's forcible relocation of the homeless residents on the day before Thanksgiving. End quote. He sounds just like that, I promise you. And the decision... The, 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 the story goes on. The decision is a blow to many of the men who said they had found a sense of belonging. One of the men said in a statement, quote, we are hurt, end quote. Okay, you know what? Why don't you get a job, sir? Can't you do that? I'm tired of the excuses, you guys. You understand. See, I know a lot of you. It's It drives me crazy because I'm in like, you know, vagrant capital. I'm at the beach in San Diego. I mean, you want to talk about the vagrant city? They're everywhere, Okay. I have to walk right through them, and I always do, just to show them who's boss, because it's my sidewalk, not theirs. I live here. They don't. And these guys are entitled, and they're doing drugs, and they're doing all kinds of gross stuff, and the fire department's constantly screaming down my street, going to pick up another one who stuck a syringe of whatever into his arm, and it's constant. It's nonstop. And even out here, you know, the news will do a story on the vagrants, and even out here, you'll always see people on the news, and they always have a clip of some citizen going, you know, I feel bad for them, but... And you've got to stop with that. You have to just be like, no, it's unacceptable. And the only way it's going to end is if they forcibly take these guys off the street and lock them away so they can get the medical help and dry them out that they need. 
That that and that, that's the only thing that will work. I'm tired of hearing all their other stupid ideas. And nobody wants this in their neighborhood. Why would you want this in your neighborhood? I'm telling you, I see moms and kids, and they have to walk by these junkies all over the sidewalk, and they're, they're like pants are half off, and they don't want it. And then the second one I have for you about the vagrant update. Um, the police in San Jose, California, said they arrested a suspect in connection with a stabbing attack at a Baptist church a couple nights ago in which two people died and three others were wounded. Yeah, he stabbed five people. No services were being held at the time of the attack. And guess what? The police said that, quote, unhoused individuals, end quote, had been taken to the church to get them out of the cold. Yeah, see, more euphemisms. They're really good at coming up with euphemisms for the vagrants, not so much on solutions. I'm constantly seeing that, unhoused. Out here, you know what they like to say? They like to say experiencing homelessness. Because, see, they're not like vagrants. They're just experiencing homelessness. It's only a temporary condition, even though it's not. That's a lifestyle I promise you, if you were to go down right from where I'm sitting talking to you guys right now, if you were to go down to the seawall where the Pacific Ocean is, and there's a big seawall right there, there's going to be a couple dozen vagrants hanging out there. And I promise you, if you walked up to them and you said, hey, anybody want to make an honest day's pay for an honest day's work? Come with me. Not a single one would take you up on that offer. They like their, it's a lifestyle out here. Now, I can't speak for vagrants elsewhere. But I promise you, this isn't like a guy who's just down on his luck, who's just itching for a, an honest day's pay. It does not exist. You got to stop and get that out of your head. That doesn't exist. They're like crazy people with knives and muttering to themselves, dude. You got to take them away and get them the help they need. They did not name the suspect in the stabbing. But uh, yeah, right in the church, and two people are gone. So nobody cares about them, though, right? Just the, we got to shelter the vagrants. That's all. Just more, more victims. Really, really sad. And nobody seems interested in stopping it. It's really kind of depressing. Okay, back with more on the Thanksgiving special. BK here. Thanks, guys. One in three adults has pre-diabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man, you, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has pre-diabetes, with early diagnosis, pre-diabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. All right, let's finish strong on this hour of the Jesse Kelly Show. Did you guys see the Sex Pistols former singer, uh, Johnny Rotten? His real name is John Linden. A bunch of people sent me this story. Well, he was in the news. 
he has revealed that he was bitten on his penis by a flea after he rescued some squirrels. Okay, so let's get into this. He's 64 years old. He's a big Trump guy, by the way. Did you see that? It's, isn't it funny how things go around? Like, he was Mr. Like Nonconformist. And I guess, I suppose being an outspoken Trump supporter in this day and age is the most nonconformist thing you can do. But yeah, 64, he says he has flea bites in several parts of his body after he befriended some squirrels hanging out around his house in Venice Beach, Los Angeles. He said he did not want to blame the poor squirrels and has been liberally applying Vaseline to ease the itchiness. (laughs) So he's spreading Vaseline all over. He uh, opened his door to the wildlife that surrounds his U.S. home and says he's been... Spending a lot of money keeping his squirrel friends well fed. So Johnny, I don't know, man. I'd stay away from the squirrels because that's what happens. And he, uh, the, the, the fleas are going to get all over you. They're going to get all over your old lady. And they're going to get into your genitals. And it's just a no-go. So I don't know what you're thinking. But uh, that's a great story. And I really appreciate the many, many, many of you who sent that story to me. Okay, guys. We're going to be back with more on this special Thanksgiving episode of the Jesse Kelly Show. Thanks a lot for hanging out with me, and we'll keep it going. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. Welcome back, you guys, to The Jesse Kelly Show. BK here, filling in for Jesse. Really appreciate him letting me have the chair. Uh, go ahead and follow me on Twitter for breaking news throughout the week, at Bravo Kilo Actual, and check out that Instagram, at BK Actual. Let's uh, do a little coronavirus news. I know you're sick of it. I'm sick of it. it sucks. The world's over. But we got to do it. Let's see where we're at worldwide. Worldwide, 60,719,936 confirmed coronavirus cases, and that means 1,426,823 deaths. As far as America is concerned, we're looking at 13,137,962 confirmed cases with 268,219 deaths. It's wild. Let's check out the live updates page and see what's going on. Well, we've been tracking the daily number of deaths. Uh, Tuesday of this week was a pretty bad day. The number of virus-related deaths reported in the United States reached 2,216. That's one day, the equivalent of one death every 39 seconds and the highest single-day death count since June 26th. Now, they think that figure is going to approach or exceed the single-day peak that came back early in the pandemic, and that was 2,752 deaths on April 15th. So, with all these new virus cases, it was kind of assumed that the deaths would rise as well, of course, lagging a few weeks behind. But, here's the thing. A far smaller percentage of people who catch the virus are dying from it than were in the spring. And there's a variety of factors. One, we have a lot more testing. As I told you guys yesterday, 
I'm looking at the social media video of the free testing at Dodger Stadium in Los Angeles, and there's like you're talking thousands and thousands of cars. You know, people weren't doing that back in the day unless they felt sick. But with the Thanksgiving holiday, they want to like have a test, and more and more people are getting tested. Another reason is we're getting better at treating it. Data from the CDC, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, show that the share of cases resulting in death has dropped steadily from 6.7 in April to 1.9 in September. And researchers at three NYU hospitals found that the death rate had dropped from 25.6% of coronavirus patients in March to 7.6% in August, and that is even when controlled for differences in age, severity of symptoms, and underlying health problems. And yeah, here it is. One researcher of that study I just mentioned said that in the spring, we didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know that COVID patients make blood clots or that it causes kidney disease or that we didn't have to rush people onto ventilators or use steroids. So as they learned, the care got better. But they're worried that this may not carry over to winter as new cases come in, uh, especially if those hospitals become overcrowded. So uh, they're hoping that that trend continues. And again, I'm just looking at the 14-day change. New cases, the 14-day change, the trend is still going up. The 14-day change is up 43% for new cases. The 14-day change in new deaths is also up 61%. Uh, Cases are really just exploding in New Mexico. I'm just looking at a heat map here. New Mexico is really the worst one right now. That's just it's just blowing up right there. Uh, and then the Dakotas, Wyoming, that whole upper Midwest area, Montana, not great. Rhode Island's not doing great. South Dakota seems to be slowing down, thankfully. Okay, what else for our live updates page? A Malaysian company that makes disposable gloves used around the world for protection against coronavirus has been hit by a major outbreak among its workers. I don't know. Many of them foreign laborers who live in crowded dormitories. The outbreak has infected more than 2,400 workers this month and driven one of Malaysia's biggest spikes in coronavirus cases since the pandemic began. Until now, Malaysia was pretty successful in containing the virus. They only had 345 deaths as of Wednesday. In a country of 32.5 million people, that's not too bad. So this company, Top Glove, said that they had stopped work at 20 of their factories in hope of stemming the outbreak. So they make all the disposable gloves and face masks, and the U.S. and Europe are among its biggest customers. Uh, you, You can imagine the working conditions at one of these it's basically a sweatshop let's call it what it is and you know one guy who is this guy minister the malaysian minister of human sources toured the workers quarters days ago and said that living conditions were terrible <laughs> yeah you can imagine sometimes they'd pack like 30 of these dudes into a room what else from around the world with coronavirus well japan and china have agreed to restart business travel between the countries later this month Business travelers will be exempt from quarantine if they test negative for the coronavirus and submit an itinerary of their activities. 
the arrangement does not apply to tourists. Important there. Only business travelers. And this is similar to the arrangement that Japan has with Singapore, South Korea, and Vietnam. Uh, Nepal said this week that it would resume issuing visas on arrival for visitors to the Himalayan country. Even as Nepal's coronavirus caseload continues to rise, government officials there said they had decided to end a nine-month visa suspension in order to save the country's critically important tourism sector from collapse. About a million tourists visited Nepal in 2019, but basically everything there has been empty since the outbreak. Uh, The country of 30 million people has recorded about 1,400 deaths. Uh, Some good news in France. President Emmanuel Macron said this week that his country was past the peak of its second wave and that shops could reopen on Saturday. However, bars and restaurants are unlikely to reopen until mid-January. What's the difference? Uh, as far as the NFL, big, you know, you guys all want to sit around and watch football, right? Well, the NFL has moved the Thanksgiving night game between the Baltimore Ravens and Pittsburgh Steelers to Sunday afternoon. And that's after nearly a dozen players and staff members on the Ravens tested positive for the coronavirus. Oh, man. This outbreak forced the Ravens to close their training facility on Monday and Tuesday and is the largest concentration on a single team since late September, and that was when two dozen players and staff on the Tennessee Titans tested positive. That round of positive tests, which came in the fourth week of the regular season, forced the league to reschedule several of the Titans' games during the team and bye weeks. Oh, and the team was also fined $350,000 for its handling of NFL virus protocol. And I think the Ravens are looking at a big fine, too, because I don't have the story right in front of me, but apparently some dude they caught was walking around not wearing his... Uh... Uh, did you guys see the uh, HBO Hard Knocks with the Rams, and they had him wear, like, they had, like, these... They had him wear, like, these little, like, buttons, and, like, the button would, like, flash red if you got too close to somebody else to encourage social distancing. Yeah, and apparently this guy was like, I'm not wearing that. Also, Nick Saban, the head coach for top-ranked Alabama, has tested positive for the virus. And remember, last month he was he had tested positive for the virus as well, but that turned out to be a false positive. They say this time it's real. Uh, and then you got to love all the health officials who say don't have any Thanksgiving and all that, and they got caught like that stupid uh, idiot Denver mayor. He's like the latest guy who's in a crap storm right now because he he was literally getting on a plane and tweeting out like, okay, now nobody go uh, have Thanksgiving. And then what does he do? He gets on a plane and he travels to go see his family. So everybody's like, what? Are you kidding me right now? So yeah, And that follows stupid Governor Gavin Newsom, who's still getting crapped on for his infamous French laundry dinner, which he is never living down. I will never let him live that down. I can't get past the prices of the French laundry dinner. My, my God, 350 bucks per person, not including booze? I mean, you better have some, like, I don't know, You that that is not enough. You, the food is not enough. You better be getting a whole hell of a lot more for 350 bucks than that. That's ridiculous. But yeah, these politicians, man, they kill me. All right, more after this on The Jesse Kelly Show. Wake up and text. 
text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <sighs> Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Back here on the Jesse Kelly Show, BK here hanging out with you guys. Uh, one one thing I like to do on my weekly podcast, World News with BK, that I've been pretty consistent with is playing a lot of the audio clips from the various mask meltdowns, and there, there's plenty of them every week. So I thought, why not? I'm going to bring this over to the Jesse Kelly Show for your enjoyment. So I've got a few clips here. Uh, let's start with this guy, and he is out hiking, and he says to some people, and I'm not clear on who is like who is pro-mask and who's anti-mask, because it doesn't really make it clear in the video. But basically, you're going to hear this guy say, I have COVID, and spits at other hikers when they started arguing over face masks. Um, so originally, it looks like he is wearing a mask, and maybe they weren't, and I think he was angry that they weren't wearing masks, so he starts spinning them. A full caveat, I, it could be the exact opposite of that. I'm just not sure. But let's play this clip here, and you'll hear this guy. Okay, thank you so much for your input. All right, he's, he's going to walk away, and then he's going to, like, circle back here a little bit. And here he comes back. Okay, I have COVID. I have COVID. I've been tested positive. Are you okay? No, you won't be soon. <laughs> and his old wife is sitting here yelling at him. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, he's been arrested, by the way, for that. Now, uh, let's see. Here's another one where this guy apparently is some Trump supporter, and he... Uh, he was arrested too, or like they gave him a citation for like some kind of assault for what they called forcefully exhaling without a mask on a protester outside the Trump National Golf Club. This is like five days ago or something like that. So he breathes on them and the cops are calling this assault. And I'm curious about that. I'm like, well, wouldn't you have to have COVID for it to be an assault charge? And then even then, can you charge somebody just for breathing? I'm not sure, but let's listen to how this goes. <laughs> Do what you, you want. I'm not in anybody's you face. Get you away. are in my face. And you don't have a mask. So you need to back up. <gasps> oh, oh, that's I assault. That's I assault. Good, I breathed good. on you. That's a, Ooh, good. Get it. Simple. That's assault. And that's assault. Right. Oh, my God. <laughs> there he goes. You know what I'm, You know what I can't figure out, you guys? 
Why do people want to spend their days doing this? I can't understand. All these protesters fighting with each other out in the streets. See, this all goes back to what I told you in the earlier segment. People desperately need to get back to work. We have too much free time. And then uh, finally, for my mask confrontation clips, this is great too. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy was confronted while having dinner with his family, and he's not wearing a mask. And, of course, he's a giant mask skull, right? Now, don't get me wrong. I don't really like people going up to other people and getting in their business. But once you've kind of put yourself out there and made a spectacle of yourself, then, you know, you kind of get it. And I'm looking at this clip right now on Twitter. This clip has been viewed 1.7 million times. How about that? Okay, let's listen to New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy confronted while having dinner with his family. Here we go. Oh my God, it is. Hey, how you oh doing? Oh my God, Murphy, you, how are you doing? such a <laughs> You're having you fun are... with your family. In the meantime, you're having uh, all kind of other <laughs> A little too drunk? No, no, I'm not drunk, as a matter of fact. Can you put your mask on? Please. You can <laughs> yourself. How's that? Well, you don't have a mask on. You know why I don't need a mask? Because there ain't nothing like wrong Trump. with me. I like your Trump and then oh i just saw this phil murphy did actually end up putting a mask on like halfway through the video <laughs> so it worked they shamed him into doing it that's too funny Man, the mass confrontations. I, if you guys, if you get any good ones, please by all means send those to me right away at Bravo Kilo Actual at Twitter or at BK Actual on Instagram. I'll take them all I can get. Do I have anything else with the coronavirus? No, I don't. Not really. I'm, I, I'm, I am, guys. Trust me, I'm as sick as talking about it as you are of listening to it. One hundred percent. Uh, let's just do a quick few headlines for the rest of this segment. How about this? Soccer legend Diego Maradona has died after suffering cardiac arrest. He was the uh, at the age of 60 years old. The Argentina Football Association confirmed the news, and he is re- regarded as one of the greatest players in the game. He became a household name after inspiring his country to World Club glory in 1986. He had a memorable performance against England where he scored an iconic goal that he later described as the hand of God. It's where he kind of punched the ball into the net, but the goal was allowed to stand because the referee did not see the foul. And of course, he had all kinds of drug and alcohol addictions, and uh, I highly recommend the documentary, I believe it's on HBO, about his life. I tell you, man, if I had to do it all over again, that is what I would do. International soccer star. I mean, those guys seem to have the life. I'm probably right close to it is international golf star because you could have a longer career that way, but I don't think the golfers like pull the chicks like the soccer players do. Yeah, it's a great lifestyle. Traveling all over the world, super famous. I know none of you guys care about soccer, but outside the United States, it's a big deal. My God, the Middle East, they go crazy for it. They love in the Middle East, they love the English Premier League above all things. I'm telling you right now. Uh, this one is funny, too. Here's another headline for you. Penguin Random House, the publishing company, their staffers broke down in tears over release of Jordan Peterson's new book. This is hilarious to me. Full disclosure, I've never read Jordan Peterson in my life. 
but he's that Canadian clinical psychologist. I guess he's sort of right-wing in some way. Well, this was too much for the snowflakes at Penguin Random House. He was releasing a new book titled Beyond Order, 12 More Rules for Life, which is set to be released in March. But Vice reported this week that Peterson's book has sparked an emotional outcry within the Canadian publishing giant. That's so funny. According to the report, several employees confronted management and dozens more have filed anonymous complaints. They called him an icon of hate speech and transphobia and an icon of white supremacy. You know what? Just fire all these people. If you work at a publishing house and you can't bear words on paper, just quit. Then quit. Go start your own crappy publishing house. I mean, do they not realize that the huge amount of books that Jordan Peterson sells makes it possible for them to publish other all the other crappy books that don't sell at all? All their leftist gibberish? One employee alleged that people were crying in the meeting about how Jordan Peterson has affected their lives. <laughs> One explained that Peterson had radicalized their father, and another insisted the publishing of his book will negatively affect their non-binary friend. Oh, for God's sakes. I'm just Aren't you sick of these people? Aren't you sick of these people? Oh. What happened with it? Where, where did this end up anyway? They are going to definitely publish this book. As I said, he sold uh, millions of copies of the last one. They're definitely going to publish it. Uh, and just to uh, finish up this uh, segment right here quickly, a Virginia caregiver has been charged after allegedly performing a sex act on an 80-year-old patient. Yep. A 57-year-old Nizhamadeng Jureti has been charged with one count of forcible sodomy. Authorities say they were notified on November 11th that the man told a family member that he awoke to Jureti allegedly performing a sex act on him in his home. Oh, no. He worked for a specialized care services company called Care With Love in Fairfax, Virginia. Yeah, that's some, that's some love. I'm looking at his mugshot right now. Uh, it's, not, uh, it's not what I would want to wake up to, that's for sure. Okay, guys, we'll be back. With more on the special Thanksgiving episode of the Jesse Skelly Show after this. One in three adults has prediabetes. One in three. That means it could be you, your football buddy, your football buddy, or you, your best man, your worst man. You, your dog walker, your cat jogger. While one in three adults has prediabetes, with early diagnosis, prediabetes can be reversed. Take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. That's doihaveprediabetes.org. Wait, did they just say one in three adults has prediabetes? That's 33.33333% of adults. That means it could be me, my boss, or my boss's boss, or me, my favorite sister, or my other sister. That's seven members of my 21-person romantic book club. <gasps> Wait, the one in three could be me, my karaoke partner Carol, or ugh, my karaoke enemy Jeff. I'm going to take the risk test at doihaveprediabetes.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and its pre-diabetes awareness partners. Mm-hmm. 
right, rolling along here. Thanksgiving special, Jesse Kelly Show. BK here with you guys. Appreciate you checking out the podcast, World News with BK. You'll love it. Uh, let's do a quick update on the election. Yeah, technically, it's sort of still going on in some people's minds, so I'll cover it a little bit. Uh, there were a few interesting developments. Let's start with Pennsylvania. So a Pennsylvania judge has halted the election certification amid this mail-in vote fight. And he did, this, this is a Pennsylvania state court. So they issued an injunction Wednesday blocking any potential further certification of election results in the state. And this is pending a hearing to be held Friday. And this is an order from Judge Patricia McCullough. And it comes in the case brought by Pennsylvania voters, including Representative Mike Kelly. He's a Republican from Pennsylvania. So in this case, they are alleging that a state law allowing for no excuse absentee voting violated the Pennsylvania Constitution, which outlines specific cases where absentee voting is allowed. So Pennsylvania Attorney General Josh Shapiro, big lib, quickly responded on Twitter, pointing out that this does not have much impact since the results of the presidential election have already been certified and electors chosen. However, Pennsylvania officials swiftly filed a notice of appeal within the state Supreme Court asking for a review of whether the judge, McCullough, erred in granting injunctive relief despite Kelly and the other voters showing a failure to satisfy any of the prerequisites that warranted injunctive relief. Okay, very good. Uh, so, what is this all about? Well, this is about Act 77. What is that? That is what the plaintiffs call the most expansive and fundamental change to the Pennsylvania Election Code to date. That's the law that expanded mail-in voting in Pennsylvania. Even though Article 7 of the Pennsylvania Constitution, which covers absentee voting, is very narrow in its scope of who can participate. So in other words, they say they expanded this to include everybody and it was unlawful when we did it, so they should throw out all the votes. I really doubt they're going to do that. So what the lawsuit wants and what they claim is that Pennsylvania's mail-in votes are invalid because in order to expand absentee voting, a constitutional amendment is required, not simply the passing of a bill. But again, the presidential election results in Pennsylvania have already been certified, but the Trump campaign is still actively fighting them. Um, they are also hoping to get a win on an appeal on a dismissal of a case they brought alleging that voters were improperly granted the ability to cure invalid absentee votes and in which they alleged that more than 680,000 ballots were counted without proper observation. Okay. Well, you know, I mean, good luck. I've gone over this ad nauseum and I still maintain that the race wasn't even that close. I know. I know you guys don't want to hear it. I get it. You don't want to hear any of this. You want to believe all the nonsense that uh, Jim574935 on Twitter put out. I, I sympathize with you. I do. I wish Joe Biden had not won, but he, he did win. He flipped five states, you guys. You know, next time, get out there more. To, to me, this is like just posturing, but... They're going through the courts. It's their right to do it if they want to. I just think it's like a giant waste of time. But it's certainly their right to go through all this stuff. 
Well, what's another case? Well, how about in Nevada? In its first court victory, a Nevada judge has let the Trump campaign present its evidence that fraud and illegalities plagued that state's election enough to reverse Joe Biden's win. So, according to Trump officials, the judge has set a December 3rd hearing and is allowing 15 depositions. What's more, the campaign plans to present its evidence that could result in the rejection of tens of thousands of mail-in ballots in Democratic Clark County, where Biden ballots outnumbered Trump ballots by 91,000 in unofficial results. So, hmm, let me see here. What else is this? The Trump team in a court filing made several allegations of voter fraud, including votes by non-residents and the dead. But the biggest claim in this court filing was that the signatures on hundreds of thousands of mail-in ballots were not verified by human officials as required by law. What's more, they claim, they found that officials used a machine to verify signatures, apparently against the rules, and even those machines were plagued with problems. Well, again, good luck. I mean, they have, like, I've seen, like, little things here and there. Like, the campaign, like, for example, they have testimony from a blind person who claims somebody else voted for her and that she was barred from voting as a result and stuff like that. You're always going to have a little bit of that. Now, I have a few clips here from what's going on in Pennsylvania. So that some Republicans in Pennsylvania, these Republican senators got together, and they decided to have, like, some hearings on this. Now, this, uh, they, and Trump actually called in at one point. That's a he, he kind of went long-winded on speakerphone. I'm not going to play that one, but I do have a couple clips I wanted to play. Here's a data scientist from Delaware County in Pennsylvania, uh, and he's told that a bunch of USB cards with a lot of votes on them are missing. Let's see if we can make something out of this. My name is Gregory Stenstrom. I'm from Delaware County. I'm a father, a family man. Uh, I was a former commanding officer and executive officer in the Navy. I'm a veteran of foreign wars. I'm a CEO of my own private company. I'm a data scientist. I'm a forensic computer scientist. I'm an expert in security and fraud. And we were told, um, I was told the next day uh, by uh, the uh, solicitors, uh, well, actually not the solicitor, but the attorney that we had secured, that they said every election they leave a couple of USBs in the voting machines and they're brought back and generally the warehouse manager comes over and puts them in. So in talking to uh, the U.S. Uh, Attorney General uh, McSwain and other uh, law enforcement officers, uh, I found out that was not the case, that generally, uh, you know, more than, more than two is unusual. So they denied they did it, but um, as of today, 47 USPV cards are missing, and they're nowhere to be found. So I was told personally that these 32, uh, these 24 to 30 cards that were uploaded um, weren't there. Those cards, uh, I demanded that the, uh, they didn't update the vote live time. They only updated it about once every two or three hours. I demanded they updated the vote so I could see what the, the, uh, what the, what, what the result was. And it was uh, 50,000 votes. And I think as a computer scientist, an American, and a patriot, it doesn't matter who those 50,000 votes were. Okay, let me stop him here. So basically he's saying, yeah, 50, he's saying 47 different USB devices with 50,000 votes on them went missing. Hmm. All right, well, we'll see. 
And then uh, the crowd gasped after finding out the mysterious spike of votes in Pennsylvania. had 600,000 votes for Biden and only 3,200 for Trump. Let's, uh, let's listen to what they say here. I'm just going to fast, fast forward here a little bit. There we go. Let's uh, fire this up. Uh, what that indicates is there is a spike in uh, loaded votes, uh, uh, 337,000 plus or minus of some votes that were added in there in one big batch. So that was uh, an anomaly in the reporting. Normally you would expect to see a smooth curve going up, not any, uh, not any big, big spikes. Uh, that's kind of what, uh, what Greg was talking about, the, the anomalies of loading and uh, uploading those, uh, those votes. So that big spike that uh, occurs there is a prime indicator of fraudulent voting. And that's 604,000 votes in 90 minutes, is that right? Correct. This is uh, 300 and, uh, 337 votes, 337,000 votes in that, uh, at, in that period of time. Yes. And when you look at this entire curve with all these spikes, can you calculate how, how, how much of a vote that accounted for for Biden and how much for Trump? Close to 600,000. I think our, our figures were about 570 some odd thousand that uh, all those spikes represent over time. For Biden? Correct. And how much for Trump? I think it was a little over 3,200. Oh, mumber, mutter, mutter. They didn't like that at all. Okay, guys, more with this Jesse Kelly show after the break. Doctors Trusted CBD Company. I love when companies try to make my life easier. I love that I don't work for them. They work for me. I can buy CBD from a lot of places. I choose to buy it from the company that took the time to research the entire CBD industry and find the highest quality CBD. They went out and teamed up with Be Best Organics, which is made in the USA. Be Best Organics, they test every batch to make sure you're getting the best stuff. That's awesome. Natural medicines and holistic healing approaches, they're known to help alleviate issues like anxiety, headaches, joint pain, and more. I choose the CBD route, and if I'm going to go that route, shouldn't I choose the highest quality possible? Go to DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Don't forget to use the promo code JESSE. That gets you free shipping and 10% off. DoctorsTrustedCBD.com. Promo code JESSE. All right, back with you guys. BK here on the Jesse Kelly Show. I wanted to, thought I'd talk a little bit about uh, some training on this special Thanksgiving episode of the show. I mean, you guys are all sitting there. You're you're gorging yourself as I speak on all kinds of food and leftovers, and you're fat, and your bodies are growing huge, and your minds are growing dull. I get it. While I'm here working away, I'm super jealous, don't get me wrong, but I get a lot of questions all the time from younger dudes coming up, and they're like, BK, how do I get jacked and tanned? How do I join the elite ranks of the commandos, such as uh, Air Force Pararescue, Air Force Combat Control, Navy SEAL, Army Green Beret, Army Ranger? How? How, BK, can I possibly get there? And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it's a lot easier now, honestly, to find those good resources online than even when I came in. And when I came in, it wasn't even that long ago. 
Uh, but just like a few tips since I have this platform, I thought, one, I wouldn't spend a lot of time on weight training. Uh, basically, when you go through any kind of selection process, you're going to be doing a lot of body weight stuff. So what you should be doing is definitely you should be running like you've never ran before. Now, if you're overweight or you haven't ran, you have to start slow. Otherwise, yes, you will get shin splints and it it's a nightmare to recover from. So if you are out of shape or fat and you don't know where to start, I would say just start by walking 30 minutes a day at a good pace, like move out, you know, with a purpose, not just, you know, strolling around aimlessly. I hate that more than anything. Don't you guys hate that when you're walking on the sidewalk and there's some like dope in front of you and they're like kind of aimlessly looking around and like they don't know where they are. And I'm like, get the hell out of my way. I have places to go to, you, you goof. <clears throat> so that is a huge pet peeve of mine. So don't do it. Oh, another thing on the sidewalk is people when they walk like four people abreast on the sidewalk, taking up the whole sidewalk. So then I have to like go into the street to go around them. Like, dude, come on. You can't do that. That's ridiculous. So... I would say definitely start slow on your runs. Now, the other thing about running, running is going to be the foundation for everything. So that's really where you want to spend a lot of your time. Another thing about running is you have to mix up the types of runs you do. So what do I mean by that? Well, don't just you know run the same pace and the same distance every day. That's a no-go. What I would recommend to you is kind of how... So when I was going through PJ Selection... Monday was the race day, right? Because every week we had a PT test that was on a Monday. So you had, and they did that on purpose because that's the beginning of the week. You're not all beat up. You had the weekend to recover, right? So Monday is when you really want to put out. And the way they ran it, it was like it, it got, the, the, the distances got longer and longer every week. It started off, it was just like a mile and a half, I think, the first week. And it was just the seven-minute pace was the max time. So in other words, you had to run your mile and a half in 10 and a half minutes, right? Piece of cake, right? Well, it gets a little bit harder because every week the times would go up, the distances would go up, and by week eight, you're looking at six miles, and the max time was 42 minutes. So you had to be moving out. And most of the time, they wouldn't even let you wear a watch to check because they wanted you to just put out. They were jerks that way. I think they let us wear a watch for the very last run, graded run. But I think other than that, they just wanted you to put out as hard as you could. So you had to be moving out. Now that was, so Monday was your race day. So if you guys are making a schedule, here's how I do it. Monday would be your race day. The next day, Tuesday, let's call that like a recovery run. That would be like a long, slow distance run. You're going to go like, you know, six, seven miles, 20 miles, 30, whatever you're going to do. Right. But make it long, make it slow. Just don't stop. Day three, you might want to do some track work, some interval training. You'd go around the track. You're doing sprints, like quarter-mile sprints. If you don't have a track, that's fine. You can do uh, just like what I like to do. I'll go down to the bike path down by the beach, and I'll run, and I'll like have a watch, and I'll like run hard as hell for like a minute, and then jog slow for two minutes, stuff like that. Um, another type of run you can do, which is a great technique for increasing your speed if you want to increase the speed of your runs is called a tempo run so a tempo run is when you divide your run up into thirds so for simplicity's sake let's call it three miles so what you do in a tempo run is you jog the first third and then you put out hard in the middle third and then you jog again on the final third so the middle portion of it is when you're really putting out 
and that will you will see do that once once or twice a week, and you will see your run times just just just, just plunge. It's unbelievable. Now, as far as calisthenics, because I do these events with these young guys, my friend has a business where he trains up these guys going to you know Navy SEALs and PJs and all the rest. And so I get a lot of young guys, and I see what they're doing and everything. Here's what I would do for calisthenics. Your, your main calisthenics are going to be sit-ups, push-ups, and pull-ups. Pull-ups, palms facing out, okay? I think that's universal across the board. Maybe Marines? No, no, no. No, Marines are facing out as well. But it's definitely harder to have the palms facing out board. What you want to do, though, is make sure your form is rock solid, because when you get to these schools, they're going to be watching you and grading you like a hawk. And also for pull-ups especially, because that's the thing everybody struggles with, weighted pull-ups will help you a lot. So get those plates out and that chain belt, slap those on, and do the weighted pull-ups, and you guys will see your pull-ups increase a huge amount. As far as push-ups and sit-ups, pretty self-explanatory. Just do a ton of them. All the time. Do push-ups constantly. Set a clock throughout the day, and every hour on the hour, do 20 push-ups and see how many hours you can do it. Stuff like that. Make a game out of it, in other words. So that's just a few tips that I have for kind of getting your body ready for these schools. Back with more to finish up the Jesse Kelly Show. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm-mm. Text and catch the bus. Text and miss your stop. Wait, 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 wait. Text and be late to work. Sorry, I'm late. Text and work. Text and pretend to work. Text and act surprised when someone calls you out for not working. <clears throat> Who, me? Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. Text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Ugh. Text and whatever. But when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger. Put it in the glove box. Just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A public service announcement brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. All right, guys, wrapping it up, the special Thanksgiving edition of the Jesse Kelly Show. And you guys know me. I always like to end on a high note. How about this? A Perry County District Judge, that is Pennsylvania, named Michael Schechterly, is being accused of sexually assaulting a 12-year-old boy and is now being charged with unlawful contact with children following a Pennsylvania State Police investigation that revealed the assault in his home. And yes, the 58-year-old judge had been caught after an investigation was conducted after residents became concerned about his program called Royal Rangers, where he called himself Commander Mike. Oh, no. And yes, sadly, witnesses said the judge regularly took children into his district court in his home. And when investigators interviewed him, he discussed his pornography addiction and, yes, his habit of pleasuring himself in his judge's chambers. <laughs> oh, God. And yes, they do say that there were uh, various uh, marks on the desk that would indicate that, yes, he did pleasure himself in his chambers. Yeah, there you go. That's what your judges are doing, you guys. Man, 
Can you believe it? I can't believe I still can't get over the fact that Jesse does not like turkey. This will not stand. I'm going to crush turkey. I'm going to crush green bean casserole and the mashed potatoes, and I'm going to get all of it. I'm really looking forward to it. And uh, again, thank you, everyone, especially Chris, the producer, for putting all this together for me and letting and Jesse for letting me hang out with you guys on Thanksgiving. It's a lot of fun for me. It's different than what I usually do. Uh, and I hope you got something out of it. Please check out the podcast, World News with BK, and follow me on Twitter, at Bravo Kilo Actual. Check out that Instagram, at BK Actual. I'll see you guys tomorrow. The Jesse Kelly Show. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What? Look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a 1,000 at a time. Please. Don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. NWRetention.com. That's NWRetention.com. Use the promo code JESSE. Get you 10% off. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation supports America's greatest heroes, U.S. service members and first responders who die or are catastrophically injured in the line of duty and homeless veterans. The Foundation's Gold Star, Fallen First Responder, Smart Home, and Homeless Veteran programs honor the sacrifices made for us by the men and women who risked their lives and bodies for our country and our communities. The Foundation's Never Forget programs engage people in 9-11 remembrance across America with over 80 runs walks and climbs a year and dozens of golf outings and barbecues the tunnel to towers 9-11 institute educates kids in kindergarten through 12th grade about america's darkest day while helping our nation keep its vow to never forget more than 95 cents of every dollar you donate to tunnel to towers goes to its programs never forget 9-11 or the sacrifices of our country's greatest heroes donate 11 dollars a month to tunnel to towers at t2t.org that's t the number two t.org if you are an accredited investor, U.S. oil and gas should be part of your investment portfolio. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. Beyond the possibility to invest in a sector that historically delivers sound returns, when you invest with Labrador Energy, you may be able to structure your investment to offset active or passive income. According to many sources, U.S. oil and gas drilling remains one of the best tax-advantaged income investments available. Visit LabradorEnergy.com. You may be able to reduce your tax liability while investing in a sector that historically delivers sound returns. Learn more at LabradorEnergy.com today. Offer for accredited investors only. Past performance is no indication of future results. Investing involves risk. Consult your legal, tax, and financial advisors and read the prospectus before making any investment decisions. Visit LabradorEnergy.com for the prospectus and more information. 
Hey, it's Jesse Kelly. It's time for you to join half a million people in doing what? Well, doing something cool. Get a Burna Less Lethal Pistol. That's Burna, B-Y-R-N-A. It fires powerful ammunition, tear gas, kinetic ammo, incapacitates an attacker for 30, 40 minutes. Having a less lethal option is crucial. It's legal in all 50 states. No background checks are required. They ship it right to your door. B-Y-R-N-A dot com slash Jesse gets you an exclusive 10% discount. An official message from Medicare. A new law is helping me save more money on prescription drug costs. Maybe you can save too. With Medicare's Extra Help program, my premium is zero and my out-of-pocket costs are low. Who should apply? Single people making less than $23,000 a year or married couples who make less than $31,000 a year. Even if you don't think you qualify, it pays to find out. Go to ssa.gov extra help. Paid for by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services.